throughout our life, we make all kinds of connections. From our neighbors to our co-workers, from family members to people we interact with in business every day. What about the connections we make to ourself? Today, we'll explore the connections that we make and how they define our lives. This is Things Worth Considering with hosts Gord Riddell and Dr. Jan Hill. It's time to listen and learn. Hi, and welcome to our Halloween show of Things Worth Considering. Sitting across from me is none other than Dr. Jan Hill. I'm Gord Riddell, and we're here on Halloween because we didn't have anywhere else to go. So we thought we would talk to you. <laughs> um, so, do you like to be scared? No, I hate it. You hate it? I know, I hate it. Really? Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Me too. I like seeing other people scared. Yeah. I love jumping out at other people. I do yeah. not really like it when people do it to me. No, I, I'm not big on the startled response in my <laughs> personal life, but uh, especially it's when funny. it's caught on camera. Yeah, but it's funny because there are a lot of lot a lot of people out there who like to be scared, right? They do. They do. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about that. We're going to mm-hmm. talk about what do we get out of being scared? Uh, mm-hmm. But maybe I don't know. We could look at. I don't know. How about this word, a fear of long words? Okay. What I was going to spring this on you. I was going to ask you how you feel about hippopotamonstrosis quid epidiliophobia. I'm okay if I have a dictionary and a spell check. Yes. <laughs> that is, quite Otherwise, ironically, the fear, fear of, of long, long words. words. Could it be any longer? It, it could. Yeah. We're, we're going to look at some of these phobias, some of the, the words. So let's take a look at uh, what is fear? Um, mm-hmm. I think we need to sort of start there. It's kind of automatically built in. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's also a learned response, too, though. Yeah. So I always think of these things, you know me, I always have to have a framework. So I always think of it as kind of like there's a physiological physiological component, right? Yep. So that's the neurological piece and the actual startle response and all that stuff that happens. And then there's the sociological piece. So that's the meaning that we give things. Yes. Right. And then there's the psychological piece, right? Like, okay, so the sociological piece is the meaning we give things at a cultural level. At a cultural. And then the psychological piece <laughs> is our experiences and how our experiences shape the meaning we give things at a personal level. Do I have to remember all this? Yeah, man. All right. <laughs> so we got the physiology, the psychology, and the sociology. Correct. And now we have fear. And now, and yeah, and all three bubbles are something that uh, are afraid that you could be afraid of. Absolutely. <laughs> Looking more Absolutely. closely into it. Yeah. Some is self-defined, and mm-hmm. some is just uh, uh, organism-defined, mm-hmm. like just survival, pure survival. Mm-hmm. And the other is culturally defined. Correct. That's how I see it too. All right. Yay! All we right. agree for once. Oh, wow, we got it. Should have gone <laughs> to the same class. Actually, uh, that terrifies me. <laughs> <laughs> um. So uh, as soon as you feel fear, um, a whole bunch of things begin to happen in our bodies. Mm-hmm. But importantly, it's the amygdala. Mm-hmm. And uh, now the amygdala is getting a lot of attention lately. Um, the, my uh, my friend at uh, Havening, he likes to refer to her as Amy. That's Ron Young. Uh, Ron Young, yeah, yes, Ron Young, absolutely. Young, yeah. So Ron Ron refers to it as Amy. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, uh, what they are actually is two uh, sort of almond shaped organs in the center of your brain and towards the back, and they send all kinds of signals uh, uh, throughout the the autonomic, which is your uh, automatic, basically, uh, nervous system, uh, which then has a whole wide range of effects. When it kicks in, suddenly your heart rate increases, your blood pressure goes up, your breathing gets quicker, uh, uh, the blood leaves your stomach area, uh, and your stress hormones, uh, adrenaline and cortisol, are released. Hmm. And your blood flows away from your heart and out towards your extremities, preparing your arms and legs for action. Mm-hmm. And this is what we call the proverbial fight-flight mechanism. Uh, you're either going to f- run as quickly as you can away, or you're going to stay and battle it out. Um, these, effects, these effects served us really well a thousand years ago, maybe even 500 years ago. Uh, in situations where we were faced with you know, beastly animals or beastly people uh, who thought that they had found dinner. Mm-hmm. However, so this is interesting, right? Because there is so there's a condition that happens relatively uh, infrequently to people where their amygdala becomes calcified. 
Yes. And so this is kind of a cool thing, right? So there is one woman that they know of and that they've been doing research on in the States, and she's uh, middle-aged. We don't know her name or anything like that, and but we know she's American. And her amygdala has been calcified completely, so she feels no fear really? at all. She cannot feel fear. So here's the interesting thing is how does that manifest, right? It manifests in uh, what you think of as being like really inappropriate responses to things that would be quite fearful. And and they, the researcher tells a story, for example, that she's sitting on a front step and she lives in a neighborhood that has uh, a lot of drug dealers and stuff like that. And somebody comes up to her, puts a gun next to her temple and then yells, bang, and she has zero fear response, wow. zero. And the neighbor saw it called the cops, the cops showed up, and she didn't actually realize that that was something that would probably have been terrifying for people, right? She And she also has no personal sense of space, right? So, you know, we, we, we manage our discomfort uh, when meeting new people and stuff by creating this, you know, personal space between us and yeah. around us, right? And so one of the things that she habitually does is she's always stepping too close to people because she doesn't actually have any kind of hesitation around meeting new people or anything like that. Wow. Right? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Really so they did do a, they did do, a, they did do, a, they were able to frighten her one time. Uh, long story how that happened, but basically what they discovered is her amygdala is completely impaired, but she did have for a few seconds a startle, a fear response. And what they were able to do is map that in her brain to actually something in her in the brain cortex. Mm. And so there seems to be some um, something that picks up. You know, in yeah. the cortex that can act a complementary system in the cortex that can be activated. But but it's interesting. And all this goes back to your point about, you know, where are we today with all this? Is that isn't it interesting that a person today could live to be middle aged with zero startle, zero fear response? It just speaks to the fact that uh, we live in a world that is like really, really relatively safe. Right. Right. right Where right. a lot of the things that before would have affected us and legitimately have created fear where the fear response would have actually saved us from like certain death. We don't need that anymore. Well, they say that's just it. We yeah. don't need that anymore. And and you're saying that we live in a fairly safe society for the most mm. part. Uh, yet people are living in this heightened state of, of you know, we just call it stress. Yeah, and anxiety, right? You know, they're in a fight, flight mechanism continuously as though, you know, they were going to be someone's or something's dinner. Right, for sure, right? But And that's the whole social construction of fear. And we're going to talk about yeah. that a little bit later, right? But that's yeah. fascinating, right? And so fear also now is, com- they've combined it with anxiety. So they've divided the fear response into something that's this sort of chronic kind of fear and a low-grade kind of fear response, right? Which we call anxiety. Yeah, Right. yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what's really interesting is is that, you know, two primary, primary experiences of, of humans, we actually have days for those. We have Valentine's Day for love. Mm-hmm. And then we have today, October 31st, Ooh. for fear. And candy. And candy. <laughs> right? Really, I think it was for candy, really, why yeah. they started this. Well, fear can, <laughs> or, or candy can actually strike its own sort of... <laughs> interesting version of fear. Well, I mean, Halloween's got all kinds of interesting, uh, uh, you know, religious overlaps and mm. sociology uh, 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 things going on there. Um, it's it's sort of lost some of its religious thing. But what's interesting is, is there's been this movement uh, uh, from this is the this is the night uh, the time when you know sort of the veil between this world and the next begins to lift. Of course, in Mexico we have the celebration of the Day of the Dead. Mm. Uh, which is fascinating. Uh, in fact, one of our instructors is she's uh, Tiffany. She's down there now uh, with some people doing uh, taking part in the Day of the Dead. That's cool. Yeah, I hope, so to, I hope they're the alive. So, what's the idea though. historically around the um, Halloween? Well, uh, um, I mean, historically, it kind of comes out of uh, sort of the Celtic experience of uh, Suhan. I believe mm. is I'm not sure I'm pronouncing it 100, percent mm. but it it uh, you know sort of evolved around acknowledgement of the dead, 
you know, um, and then gradually, you know, people people dressed up in order to fool them that as spirits would draw near, they wouldn't be able to, you know, be hurt by them and, and so on. Uh, but also at the same time, you've got Christianity coming along and they went, aha, here's another one of those exercises they do. And so they created a thing, which is on November 1st, which is All Saints Day. Oh, I see. So it's that's the okay. Same. So okay. All Hallows Eve, all right, Halloween. Okay. It's it's been shortened to All Hallows Eve is uh, you know sort of this this time when the spirit world draws very close, the veils very lifted, uh, and and one can communicate easier between those that have passed on. And of course, that gradually began to take on sort of a devilish, evil, you know, kind of a connotation to mm-hmm. it. Which is what's interesting about Mexico's Day of the Dead is that that it's it's about your ancestors. Mm-hmm. You go to your ancestors' grave mm-hmm. and you take your favorite, their favorite foods, and you you talk, you dance, you tell stories, you play music, you and you eat right. uh, all at the graveside. Oh, that's cool. Uh, and so, if you think of a cemetery, how close <laughs> how close everything is, and it's like and bring in the families, you know, and uh, it's quite a, a, a quite an experience actually in uh, in Mexico when that happens. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but originally, let me see if I understand. So, originally, it was not necessarily a scary thing. Um, Halloween, Hallow's Eve. It was more a celebration. Of- it was more a celebration, a recognition mm-hmm. of ancestors, okay, of cool. people, of a recognition basically of the dead. And so, people dressed up in costumes. When is that a new thing, or is that an older thing? Um, that be, that is, you know, I don't have that one hundred percent on that one. Uh, but they they began to do that um, as a way of fooling the spirits. So that the spirits wouldn't know who you know who was, was there, weird. yeah. So that uh, they 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 wouldn't go after like, hey, there's that so there Jan be- Hill. Let's go for her. Let's go for her. <laughs> Let's rip her head off. But it's like, um, so, but okay. So there were actually scary spirits that they were dressing up to to try sure, and absolutely, yeah, absolutely. There's true. always that that under, sort of understanding, okay. and that and that still has that mystique in it. But uh, there's sort of been more of an evolution, I think. You know, in terms of the, the culture here, because mm-hmm. this doesn't happen around the world. This is not an international festival. Mm-hmm. Okay, it happens in various places and. Certainly, Christianity plays a role in all of this. Mm-hmm. All right, with with tomorrow being All Saints Day, and then uh, All Souls Day is is on the second. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, which is a recognition of everybody who's not a saint, uh, because we all know that we can't be saints. Everybody well, else, everybody else, you know, we mm-hmm. can't be. But I don't know about the rest of these people. They get a day anyway, so uh, and that's on the second of the All Souls Day. Okay. Got yeah. It. So it's kind of interesting. You know, yeah. uh, uh, you know how that plays out. But if you go to uh, now, that doesn't say culturally it might be infusing into different cultures. But you go to China, you're not going to find this. Mm-hmm. All right, this mm-hmm. really is coming out of uh, not only just North America, but also uh, uh, British. Australia has it. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, know. right? Because with the commercialization of things, like you make so much money on Halloween selling costumes and candy. And it's a huge, blah, blah, blah. huge moneymaker. Yeah, exactly, right? It'd be yeah. pretty. So maybe we should go into candy making. I know, that's what I'm doing, and I should start making costumes. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And then something to eat to go with the costumes. There you go, right? Yeah. Scary costumes. Yeah. So the bile, you know, when we when we become fearful, uh, you know, fear actually can have a detrimental effect. Um, since uh, you know, one of the things that happens in our brain is is that when the uh, amygdala take over, all right, mm-hmm. is we stop thinking. Mm-hmm. So one of the responses to fear is to actually freeze. That's what I was going to say. There's the fight, flight, and freeze. And response, freeze, right? absolutely. The, yeah. the three Fs. Yeah. You got the 4-H club. These are the three, three Fs. Fs. Yeah. <laughs> fight, flight, or freeze. It's kind of hard to say fast. Fight, flight, fleet. I, well, I see my amygdala is not in play right now, so I can, yeah. I can mostly think. <laughs> <laughs> can't speak, go. but I can mostly think. Um, when, when you're in a situation that you don't have any historical sense of you know, historical problem solving, if all of a sudden this cortex is shut down, which is our analytical part, we're going to freeze because we're not going to know what to do. Mm. And that becomes dangerous. That's where you see someone suddenly freezing in front of, say, a car, uh, you know, or a truck coming down the road or, uh, you know, you're in your car and suddenly you're on a train track. And not being able to act quickly enough. Right, right, right. So there's, there's, it can be 
needless to say, kind of detrimental. Hmm. Uh, you know, people who are able to go through crisis and and think their way through it and then experience the fear afterwards, they make your best, you know, they're your first responders. Yeah. They're the best. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Someone that goes in there goes, oh, I don't like all that blood. Yeah. It's and so they freeze. Yeah. And that happens. That happens with some people who think they want to be ER people. Uh, I think what happens, though, like with first responders is they they break things down, right? So if you go into like uh, an accident scene or something and you see a lot of bad stuff happening, right? They automatically, they don't respond to the event, the wholeness of the event. They respond, they break things immediately down into tasks. Let's, absolutely. Let's, that's what triage is, right? You break yep. everything down boom, into tasks. Boom, boom, and as soon boom. as it's broken down into tasks, right, when, which is your... your your frontal lobe has to be online to do that, right? But as soon as it's all broken down into tasks, you just start executing those tasks and you work your way through. Yeah. Right? So the We have a task to do right now, you know. Oh, let's do it. All right. Otherwise, we're going to be dissociative. Boo. Hey. Did I scare you? All right. Uh, we are going to take a break here and we will see you back here at Things Worth Considering on Halloween. Ooh. We'll be right back. Ah! It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll-free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective, plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite hosts. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access all the time friend us on facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world voice america empowerment you are listening to things worth considering with gord vidal and dr jan hill we'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca that's info at spiritgrows.ca now, back to Things Worth Considering. Hi, welcome back to our Halloween show here at Things Worth Considering. And we're talking about everything that makes us scared and what happens to us when we're scared. So uh, what's this risk society idea? Oh, yeah. So, okay, so we talked about the physiological piece, right? Yeah. So what happens in your brain and your neurology, basically? Your body, and your associative, body all those things. All yep. those pieces, yeah. So the sociological piece is, remember, sociology is about the relationship between groups of people and sort of a, a larger cultural picture. So the sociological piece is really about, uh, well, what we talk about when we talk about risk society. So the idea here is that fear is really common in our culture because we live in a culture that is always about risk. So if you think about it, when you think about what career you have or what career you'd like to have, um, who you're going to marry or not marry, how many children you're going to have or not have. Oh, God, or, I'm already sweating. You know, exactly. How many <laughs> dogs you're going to have or not have, you know, are you going to get that rescue dog or a different rescue dog? You know what I mean? We're always measuring, even 
even right down to how you're going to get to work in the morning, like what what roadway are you going to take through the city? What subway is working? Yeah, we're always <laughs> measuring everything according to risk. Yeah. Right. If I go here, what happens? If I go there, what happens? What's going to serve my my interests best? And so. There's a sociologist guy named Ulrich Beck who talks about this. And what he says is that a very vital point, part, a very vital part of our contemporary society is that our contemporary society is always built around the assessment of risk, right? So everything we do, every moment of our life, pretty much, we're assessing risk of some sort, right? I'm wondering what risk there is in, in here with just you. <laughs> no, it's supposed to yell. <laughs> exactly. Right. So, um, so the, the idea. So, but this is interesting, right? Because it tells it that tells us that this condition, where we're conditioned to feel fear and to be okay with fear, right? To be to have fear as an invited part of our life is actually like really normal. It's just a function of the way that we live, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and so so there's that idea. That fear is something that we learn, right? The the other idea is that fear is natural and it's innate, right? And that it's it's kind of an aspect of this natural innateness is an aspect of the neoliberal self. And I know you're like always, Jen's going on about the neoliberal self all the time, right? <laughs> no more neoliberalism. No, no, right? <laughs> but in fact, in that framework of self, the individual is rational and a, is a rational choice-making machine. Yes. So this is important because fear um, disrupts our capacity to make rational choices. Oh, absolutely. So if you're going around in your life assessing risk all the time, right, because you are a rational choice-making machine, right, then as soon as fear shows up, your capacity to actually make those choices in a rational way is completely gone. gone. And so the bottom line is that when we live in a culture where risk assessment and fear is uh, integrated into all aspects of our life, then what that means is, as individuals and as groups of people, our capacity to make logical, rational choices is culturally impeded. Widespread. Very much so. It's widespread. It's diminished. Yeah. And so what this what does this mean, right, for us as people? It means that fear is uh, is actually created through our culture, and it becomes the the aspect the familiarity of fear becomes a very integral part of how we relate to the world. But fear is such an illusion. Well, this is right. Yeah, you know, right. I mean, one of the the uh, fear as an acronym uh, is uh, false evidence appearing real. Right. Fear, false evidence appearing real, and that's exactly what fear does to us. And right. that's and that's the diminished capacity to make make uh, de- decent choices. Right, and so. this is the interesting thing about fear is most of fear is perceived. Yes, right? absolutely. It's just perceived fear. So it's like you know the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Well, the only thing we really have to fear is the perception of fear. Fear. That's right. Right. That's right. The, because you know what happens when we begin to perceive fear. Okay, for instance, you know if you have stage fright or something, mm. is one of the things that I teach is, is that fear makes us contract. Yep, Shut it down. takes all of our energy and it pulls us in and it pulls us in and we become tighter and smaller. And even though we're standing, you know, at six foot and the whole thing, we're still by pulling all that energy in, we become so small. And and we have at that point also moved out of our bodies and up into our head. Right. You know, one of the exercises I love to do is just to have people breathe and just imagine pushing their energy out and touching all the walls around them, their back, their front, their sides, and just feel what that feels like. And all of a sudden they're back in their body they're calm, and they also now look like they're six foot three. Yeah, because now they're it's an expansion, right? Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and it's all it is all a mind game. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. That's so interesting. That's very much a part of the psychology of fear, right? Uh, yeah. How you deal with fear that way. But it's also it's also the physiological element mm-hmm. to that too, because when people are feeling fearful, they they really do experience sort of that contracting. Their their bodies feel awkward. They don't move, you know, fluidly or, or anything like that. Uh, it's it's getting that energy and pushing it outwards. Right. And but the contraction makes sense because that's how you make yourself stronger is to contract. 
Right. 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 So you, you're actually getting ready to, you know, if you're walking out on stage, then all of a sudden everyone's going to like rush the stage and try, try and, uh, you know, hurt you or something. Mm-hmm. And of course, the opposite is true. They're like, and eh, nah, we're too laid back to do that. What's that guy doing again? I know. We don't have any fear yeah, exactly. down here. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but it's interesting to think that risk and fear is cultivated in our contemporary Western society, right? And why is that? It's, it's well, when you live in a risk society, there are actually more choices to be made. Mm-hmm. Like this is the paradox, right? Yep. Is when you live in a society where you're always managing risk, then it means that you have an awful lot more choices to make, right? About how to... How to um, how to create safety for yourself and the people that you love. It's like going into a restaurant that has like 200 things on the menu and mm. they said, you get to pick two. Okay. But you can't make a choice. So where's the fear? The fear is making the wrong choice. What okay. if the other 198 things are like the best and I pick the two worst? Okay, right. That's exactly right in a way, right? Because what ends up happening is um, – is then we are we are never satisfied with what we actually choose. That's true, right? Um, but the other Yours thing is that really good. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> a piece of that. Yeah. But um, how do we like? How do we do this? Right? How do we manage to create more choices and actually have less choice mm. in many ways? Right? Because it's all the choice process is shut down by fear. Well, fear is um, generated culturally through urban myths. Uh, other cultural stories, right? Yeah. Through media, through political media. rhetoric, through entertainment. And of course, on Halloween, what we usually think of is fear as entertainment. Yeah, and it is. It yeah. is. I mean, you're, you know, some of the scariest movies, uh, you know, are all they're going to, if they're not being run at one of the, you know, second second run houses, it's on TV. Yeah. Or, on, or stream it off of the, the internet. But, uh, there's so many scary things. It's quite it's quite phenomenal how it becomes all encompassing. I mean, kids are already I'm seeing going to school wearing you know costumes. Yeah. Uh, the parents have been in a costume for the last two weeks. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, they look like they're going to work, but they're not. Uh, <laughs> but they drop the kids off, and they're they're like already, and it's still a week away. Yeah, and you know what's interesting too about fear in a risk society is that the fear is free-floating. So what happens is, let's say you have the fear that, oh, I'm going to sell my house and not make enough money from it so I can't live my dream or something, let's say, right? right? And then you have in your mind a magical number that you have to sell your house for so that you can live the dream. And your real estate agent comes along and says, oh, yeah, you're going to make way more than that, let's say, right? And then all of a sudden, where does the fear go? The fear doesn't go. The fear turns into, oh, maybe I underestimated the amount of money I need, right? The fear free floats to something else, else to be yep. fearful about, right? So it's all, it, it's similar to people with happiness and mm-hmm. the conditions that they place on happiness. That's exactly. I'll be happy when, and this is, I'll fear no fear when, when then. Mm-hmm. When this exactly. Happens. And fear is then linked to a lack of predictability in life. A lack of predictability. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And we live in a world where we like to believe, and this is part of the the stories we tell ourselves about who we are. You know, if you do everything right, if you play the game right, if you get the right degree, if you, you know, say the right thing, if you, ah, 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 <laughs> then your life, <laughs> yeah, then your life will go smoothly. Yeah, that's uh, not going to happen. You will have the things in your life and be the person in your life that you wish you. I think we should just stay in Halloween permanently. Exactly, a whole life is Halloween, <laughs> right? So free yeah, floating. We don't believe any of that. Yeah. Well, it hasn't happened for me. No, not yet. <laughs> right? There's um, there's a lot of research on fear that's kind of interesting. Basically, there's four categories of fear that they've discovered, which is one is personal fears. The second is uh, natural disasters. And think about okay. think about this in terms of the unpredictability, right? Personal yeah, yeah. fears is about unpredictability in your life. Yep. The natural disasters, unpredictable, unpredictable. right? We hate I've those earthquakes. Covered all my bases kind of thing. Paranormal fears. That's big. Yeah, that's huge. That's big. And really unpredictable. Yep. And then there's the the fear of the fear. So there's the fear of the drivers or the triggers of what scares you, of the fear behavior. So let's say if okay. this is where phobia would come in. You could be afraid of snakes, but you could be afraid of the grass in which the snakes live. Sure. And okay. you can live in the fear of seeing a snake. Right. And not having seen the snake. 
So you're walking around, you lots nice grassy field, and you're like terrified because there's going to be a snake. You just know it. Yeah. Yeah. But there isn't. No, it's not predictable. Yeah. <laughs> exactly right. And it's interesting for Americans. Uh, three top fears for Americans are uh, fear of man-made disasters. Yes. Right. Yep. So that's the Most. nuclear power plant that blows up, or the fracking thing, or something. Right. Uh, technology. Yep. Just. Widespread fear Terrifies me. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And then fear of, and this is going to blow your hair off, government. No, I get that completely. Wow. That completely. I don't like that. Huh, huh, huh. They're really a pain in the ass sometimes, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Psychologically, there's some fear motivators, uh, fear of failure. Yes. And of course, the flip side. A success. Fear of success. I think more people are afraid of success than they are of failure. Yeah. Why do you think that is? Because I think that we support people when they fail. Yeah, we it's like, you know, oh, you know, I, I just don't want to do this course anymore. I want to, you know, go and do this. And it's like, OK, you know, I, I understand, you know, sort of thing. But you become successful and now they're going to start to point. They're going to see where what point you're not going to be successful anymore. So, OK, so what there's I a huge industry. There's a huge yeah. industry in the English speaking world that is billions of dollars in reporting on the stars, in other words, people who are yeah. successful in our eyes, okay, uh, at some level, as to w- how they screwed up. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's there's a whole industry just waiting to take you off at the knees. So I see f- then fear of failure and fear of success as being judgment-based. Oh, very much yeah. so, very much yeah. so. Except that there's more support in failure. Yep, okay, I would go with that. Because we're used to giving up stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I don't want to do it anymore. I'd go with that. All right. Okay, how about fear of dying? I think that's huge. Fear of commitment, especially in a secular world. Commitment, that's bigger than dying. Yeah, fear of (laughs) commitment or intimacy. Okay, and then this one, fear of spiders. There's been a lot of research on that. Interesting. Yeah, and it's interesting. Like Even in kids who are 10 months old, they can uh, see the graphic uh, representation of a spider will hold their attention longer than, say, the graphic representation of a chicken. Really? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's, and you know what's really interesting though is is that for the most part, you know where we are living is is for most of us spiders are not an issue. Yeah, poisonous ones aren't. There's no poison. That's what I mean by, yeah, by you know there's no poisonous, poisonous ones. Uh, and so to to have this you know sort of fear of something that is just like not even in this world. Our, you know, or in our, our common experience, um, I just find it's really interesting. Yeah, so the research suggests that there might be some predisposition, some evolutionary predisposition to uh, see a spider graphic as a child, like as a baby, really, an infant, to actually have that register neurologically on your brain. But the response itself is entirely socially constructed. It's entirely learned. Also, they found this with snakes. Same I was going to say, this same is, thing this, with snakes. Yeah, spiders and snakes. Yeah, spiders entirely, snakes. entirely Lions uh, socially and constructed. Lions and tigers and bears. Oh my! Yeah, yes. and then there's the fear of flying. I love flying. Mm. Yeah, I love flying. Uh, Can't get enough. Fear of public speaking. No. Uh, fear of heights. No. Fear of the dark, which no. they say love starts to dark. show up around when you're two, when you actually can activate your imagination. <laughs> yes. But your imagination is going, but you don't know the difference between what is real and what is imagined. Right. Right? So that happens, fear of the dark, and fear of rejection. What do you mean you're rejecting me? Exactly. Oh, my Get God. Rejecting? Here. Get out of here. Uh, there's a Halloween nightmare for you. Get out of here. <laughs> Get out of here. Um, you know, public speaking... One of the things that I work with with people is is that energy that I talked about, the contraction of the energy, mm. is when people have that, that sort of fear is to take that energy that's contracting and pulling you in and to re, you know, re, uh, distribute that throughout your body and that gives you that presence it gives you that it factor you know because it's it's an energy in or an energy out it's still the same energy the energy that we experience when we're scared is the same physiologically mm-hmm. the same as when we are excited Mm-hmm. Our blood pressure goes up, our breathing changes, our stomach might go all funny, uh, we break out in a sweat. I'm making the decision, am I anxious or am I excited? My mm-hmm. body, though, is acting exactly the same way. Mm-hmm. And on that exactly same note, we have to take a break. Bye-bye. Ah! And we'll be right back. No, no, don't, don't, don't touch me. Ah! <laughs> 
your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Imagine a place where ancient wisdom and modern research combine to create a non-judgmental, dynamic educational environment. We believe learning is much more than just theories. It is the application of those theories that anchor your learning deep inside yourself. Our physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual selves are embraced and nurtured, learning how to create an internal balance. This is Transformational Arts College of Spiritual and Holistic Training. Since 1988, we continue our mission of spiritually focused education for all who seek. We offer integrative personal development and professional training in spiritual psychotherapy, holistic health care, spiritual director, coaching, and esoteric studies. We are located in Lawrence Park in Toronto on Young Street, north of Lawrence Avenue. It's easy to get to and harder to leave. Visit our website at transformationalarts.com or inquire at TAC at transformationalarts.com or call us toll free at 1-888-TAC-SELF. Transformational Arts, bringing body, mind, and spirit together. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Success starts here. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to Things Worth Considering with Gord Vidal and Dr. Jan Hill. We'd love to hear from you via email to info at spiritgrows.ca. That's info at spiritgrows.ca. Now, back to Things Worth Considering. Okay, we're uh, welcome back here to Things Worth Considering. Uh, we've looked at what happens to our bodies, what happens to our minds uh, when we are experiencing fear. And on Halloween, that's all about fear, isn't it? Uh, you know, fear is also can be used to control. And uh, we have American sociologist Bill Glasner, as he talks about a culture of fear or the climate of fear, which kind of the people may incite fear in the general public to achieve political or workplace goals through emotional biases. A classic example was Nazi leader Hermann Goering. He explained how people can be made fearful and to support a war they otherwise would have opposed. Uh, The people don't want war, but they can always be brought to the bidding of the leaders. And this is easy. This is him speaking. All you have to do is to tell them they're being attacked and denounce the pacifists for lack of patriotism and for exposing the country to danger. It works the same in every country. Mm-hmm. That's so depressing. That's very depressing. Yeah. It's very depressing. And I believe that's right on the money. Mm-hmm. And we see the media doing that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know? Well, this is one of the big things about the media, right? Is that we all know me- that the media, as great as it can be, can also be an agent of, you know, uh, fear disorder. A propaganda. Right? Exactly. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, you know, um, uh, Curtis, uh, um, the the filmmaker, uh, he looks at the American neoconservative movement and its depiction of the threat, first from the Soviet Union and then from radical Islamists. Uh, He insists that there has been a largely illusory uh, fear of terrorism in the West since the September 11 attacks, and the politicians such as Bush and Tony Blair uh, had stumbled on a new force to restore their power and authority using the fear of an organized web of evil mm-hmm. from which they could protect their people. Mm-hmm. Uh, Phil castigated the media security forces and the Bush administration for expanding their power Mm-hmm. In this way. You know, it's interesting when you think about the birth of criminology and the birth of sort of like social uh, uh, criminology. It uh, This followed after the Second World War <clears throat> when what they realized in the Second World War uh, was actually that, okay, you can have soldiers and you can have weapons and you can have soldiers trained to use weapons and, and that's how wars up, you know, relatively speaking, have been fought that way for 
centuries and centuries. But what's interesting about the Second World War that makes it different than many other wars that ever came before is that uh, that it was the civilian population that who were motivated by fear and hatred, personal mo- motivation, right? Fear and hatred of uh, people that. Um, you know, the milkman who had delivered their milk like three weeks earlier, now they suddenly called the SS on and, you know, the children that they would see walk across the street every day on the way to school, suddenly they'd call the SS on. So after the second, the end of the Second World War, the American government spent hundreds of millions and millions of dollars funding universities to run experiments on American citizens that looked at the cultivation of fear, the cultivation of empathy, and the cultivation of community. And what they found was that fear, if you could, if you could, it imprint into a person a fear of the unknown that that and that unknown hmm. was attached to somebody else so an arousal that was attached to somebody else something around what they didn't know about that person or what they was suspect then you could uh, it was so much easier to ask that person to encourage that person to do something harmful to another group of That's people. Right. Right, so fear has this this amazing kind of history. Our contemporary fear now, when we link it to warfare and civilians and stuff like that, it has this very strong history. Oh, it does. And it, I mean, you can really understand. I mean, it's a mm-hmm. weapon. Yeah, it can be used totally. as a weapon. Uh, why it's uh, why it's so studied is not because of why do we like to be scared. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually a weapon in mm-hmm. the hands of the wrong people. Uh, so you know what. Some people love horror movies. Mm-hmm. You know, they love to turn the lights out and they sit there and just get engrossed in it. And even if it's something they've seen five times, yeah, ten they, times, love to they be scared. still love to be scared by it. Yeah. You know, the, the, or Jaws. I mean, there's just so many. The Exorcist, horrible movie. Yeah. You know, scared the bejesus out of me, that's for sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, uh, you know, they, they will watch it over and over again. So it's kind of like because our brains, when we go into like a shocking, you know, or a scary kind of thing, is not only do we have adrenaline going and cortisol mm-hmm. going, we also have dopamine flooding into our brain. Good dopamine. And what do we know about dopamine? Well, we like dopamine. We like dopamine yeah. a lot. Yeah, it's our rewards. It's, yeah. a, it's a, absolutely our reward center. So people, people, when they you know go through like a, a scary incident where they know that they are not at risk, mm-hmm. you know, and that's really what Halloween's There's about, right? There's a safety right? net then. So yes, yeah. they know that going through this hello, you know, this uh, haunted house is it's a joke. But it's, it's a scary really joke, right? right? Because something will jump out at them and you didn't see it coming. And they're willing to suspend their disbelief, you know, which is, of course, what theater is all about, right? It's right. a willing suspension of disbelief. And But what that does is it swamps their brain with dopamine. So if you have people that don't have enough receptors to reuptake it properly, uh-huh. they're just swarming and they're like, ah, uh-huh, they're high. Wow, that's cool. They're high, no different than someone who does certain drugs, that will also then allow the dopamine to come wow. seeping into their brain. I'm going to dress up as dopamine. That's what I'm going to you do are this dopamine. year. I'm going to go out. As oh, dopamine. no, that was a dope. D- dopamine. A- dopamine. <laughs> dopamine. Oh, <laughs> oh good. I got her going. So uh, wait, the other part of that, too, then, is the adrenaline junkies. Yeah, the adrenaline that, flood. Yeah, that flood of adrenaline that is just like a, ugh, when you jump out of a plane, mm. you jump off a cliff wearing one of those squirrel suits, you know, or, <laughs> or skydiving off the edge of the cliff. Those are pure daredevil junkie. And each time... Or over over time, it becomes more and more and more daring. Right, because you it takes now more dopamine. Yeah, right? and adrenaline. And adrenaline, right? To to get that buzz. Yeah, exactly. But I think too, there's a certain amount of self satisfaction that comes from uh, doing daredevilly things. That is not just like about the neurotransmitters and stuff. It. Um, because scary, how much scary you can stand has a certain amount of social status. Just like, you know, people who like hot food, there's like this whole economy yeah, yeah. of hot food. It's like, how hot is the hottest you've ever been able to stand, right? <laughs> how scary is the scariest you've ever been able to tolerate, right? Without losing your mind. Yeah. Right? There is there is absolutely their status. There's status. There is yeah. status to that. Um, which, you know, I mean, that, that, that status that gets stroked is another dopamine. Right. Uh, 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 release, you know, it's going to just right. more more receptors, uh, uh, 
you know, just pushing that stuff out. Yeah. And why do people like to be scared together? Because that's a phenomenon, right? To go to a movie theater and have mm. like, ah, everybody freaked out or go to a, a haunted housey thing, you know, with a whole bunch of people walking through. That people like to be scared together. For sure they do. And it's very bonding. Yeah. For, yeah. It's, bonding. it's like joking. It's creates, like doing humor. Yeah. Closeness with others, right? It creates yeah. closeness. And so um, one of the ideas here is that arousal, this sort of arousal uh, creates connection. And so what can happen is if you're watching the scary movie or something and you have this arousal, then you misplace the arousal reaction from the movie. You move it from the movie to the people around you. That's why so, I always wound up in sex when we were teenagers. This is actually it. The yep. misattribution of arousal. And there's been lots of experiments on this, right? And some of the earliest ones uh, in the 1970s, 1974, there's guys named, uh, what was their name? Duton, Donald Duton and um, Arthur Aaron, I think the last name was. And what happened was, it's a very famous experiment. They had a quite an attractive grad student uh, um, asking people who, men who walked across a suspension bridge quite high up over the water, um, asked them questions about what their experience was walking over the bridge. And so on on one take, what they did is they had the, a very attractive grad student asking the guys after they got off the bridge and they'd had time for their arousal um, uh, um, physiological responses to diminish. Right. They, uh, you know, and then she would give them their number. She'd interview them, give them a number if you have any questions, whatever. And then they asked them to rate her attractiveness. And it was lower than when she went out on the bridge and talked to them there and said, well, what's this experience like for you? And did exactly the same thing, but when they were in a higher state of arousal. So what they what they hypothesized <laughs> was, in fact, they were displacing their physiological arousal with being on the suspension bridge onto her. So okay. this is why they say, if you're going on a first date with somebody, go somewhere exciting. Yeah. Right? Because <laughs> exactly. they're going to attribute it to you. And they'll, they'll totally bond they'll like to you. like you more. Especially Velcro people. There you go. Still, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. pull them off. Uh-huh. Yeah, and then another thing is curiosity, right? Why do people like to be scared? Well, because in some ways it satisfies their curiosity. Well, it satisfies your curiosity as curious. to what they think they can handle. I think it's the same as the person who jumps out of the plane or jumps off the mountain, whatever. I think there's a certain inner status that, you know, was like, well, yeah, of course, I just went through that haunted house twice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's like... There's something about the unpredictable and the unexpected yes. that satisfies our curiosity, right? Yeah, but that curiosity also is what builds resilience in people. Yeah. So the more is it the more you get scared, the more you're able to handle being scared? That's right. That's oh, right. So. You'll be you'll be able to bounce back. Yeah, I mean I don't that's like the whole that. thing of you know, I have you don't low want to threshold. Do that? You have, okay. I have low threshold for that. I'm you don't thinking, want to do resilience? No, I don't want to do that. But I I like I like sports, right? Like scary sports. I used to do a lot of scary sports when I was much younger. Okay. Well, yeah, but that was it, definitely about the adrenaline, but that wasn't even scary. Right, but right. going into a horror, like a haunted house or a scary movie or something, I'm like, why? Yeah, I agree with you. Ew. I agree. Yeah. Uh, even some rides are just, you know, at, at, at exhibitions or whatever. It's just like, why? I like those. I don't like those. I used to be the coat holder. The coat holder. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, no, no, you guys go. I don't mind. Here, give me your coats. Yeah. Because <laughs> it was always in late August, right? Designated so evenings coat are cooling holder. off. That's hilarious. <laughs> Yeah. So I would stand there and think, what a bunch of jerks. Look at them go. They paid all that money. Oh, thank God. I only have 20 coats to hold this time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. I, hey, listen, I, be, I became my own cloakroom. I was earning yeah. money holding people's coats. <laughs> you go through their pockets. Yeah. <laughs> go through their pockets, exactly. Uh, no, no, here, give me your purse. Uh, <laughs> hey, do we have time to talk about some bizarre phobias? Well, this thing I want to talk about first, okay. I want about screams. <gasps> Why do we yes. scream? Ah! Uh, normally your brain takes a sound that when it hears it and it delivers it to a section of your brain that's dedicated to making sense of these sounds. Uh, like what is the gender of the screamer, the speaker, the, their age, their tone. Screams, however, don't seem to follow that route. Uh, instead, the team discovered that um, the screams that are sent from the ear go to the amygdala. 
Oh, right away. They just bypass it. It does. Yeah, it just totally bypasses it. The brain's fear processing warehouse amygdala is ready to go. As as uh, Mr. Young says, the Amy is ready. In brain imaging, parts of the experiment, screens activate the fear circuitry of the brain. The amygdala is a nucleus in the brain especially sensitive to information about fear. Huh. It's fear sensitive. That means that screams are inherently considered not just sound, but they are a trigger for heightened awareness. Ah, like it. I think that's quite fascinating. I like it, yeah. About that. Uh, you know, I, I just would think, which, you know, I don't know why young girls have to scream so much when they travel in packs. I already see them coming. Yeah. But then when they start to scream, it's very unnerving, very unnerving. Um, so, uh, yeah, do the phobias. Let's talk about phobias. Those, those, are, those are kind of fun in the last couple of minutes here. Okay. Uh, paperphobia. Who? What do you think that is? Paper or papaphobia? Fear of the Pope. Yes. Papa. Can you believe it? Fear of the Pope. Papa. Yeah. yeah, papaphobia. Yeah, here's a good one. Uh, turophobia. Uh, turophobia. What do you think A fear that is? of holes. No. That's, okay. Fear of cheese. That's fear of cheese. There cheese. are people who are afraid of cheese. There are people who are afraid of holes. There are people who are afraid of holes. <laughs> That's called tripopophobia. Tripopophobia. That's why they call it popo. Tripophobia, it's called. Tripophobia. Tripophobia. Fear of holes. And the fear of holes can be like not big holes in the ground that you're going to fall in. They can be like, you know, if you get a wafer cookie or like a, what do you call it? Like a shredded wheat that has little holes between the shreds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wheat? Yeah. Right? Sometimes you can escape inside of those. Yeah, there you go, right? Yeah. Here's one that a lot of people have is ergophobia. Ergophobia. Fear uh, of work. Oh, God, yes. I yeah, have that. Right? I have that. And when um, you ask people what the fear of work is all about, often they're they're worried about the um, the judgment that comes from being at work. How about globophobia? Globophobia. That is, oh, that's a fear of balloons popping. Scares the hell out of some well, people. And you know what? That's interesting, right? Because that's the kind of thing where you go, well, is that the fear of the potential of the balloon popping? Or does the fear come from when the balloon actually pops? Did the egg arrive before the chicken or exactly. was the chicken on the other side of the road? Right. But it's kind of like that idea, are we afraid of fear or are we afraid of the fear of fear? We're, I think we're more afraid of the fear of fear for most people. Yeah. They will, they were, they will begin to have uh, uh, you know, resisted and changing their behavior just at the thought of fear. Yeah. Now, next week, okay, we got an interesting show. Do because we're going to be doing the great imposter syndrome. Oh, yes. I hope they don't find out. Yes. Because that's what it's about, the imposter syndrome, and we're going to be talking about that next week. So uh, thank you for joining us uh, at our Halloween show. This is Dr. Jan Hill. I'm Gord Riddell, and this is Things Worth Considering, and we hope we gave you some things to consider. Yeah, an amygdala-filled evening. (laughs) Have a great week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to Things Worth Considering. Please join your hosts, Dr. Jan Hill and Gord Riddell, for another edition next Thursday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time and 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, think about the connections in your life and how they define who you are.